This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, March 19th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Rachel Delgidis. Today we're featuring Virginia's conversation with Sebastian Gorka, host of the podcast America First, who previously served as Deputy Assistant for Strategy to President Donald Trump. They discuss his family's past and what it was like to live under oppressive communist regimes, as well as the threat of socialism to the American dream. Plus, Virginia will be discussing with our colleague Ryan Smith Tom Brady's departure from the Patriots. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. On Wednesday, President Donald Trump announced he will be implementing the Defense Production Act, which frees up his administration to allow American manufacturing to speed up production of medical supplies in the U.S. that are running low due to the coronavirus pandemic. Here's what Trump had to say about the Defense Production Act earlier Wednesday. We'll be invoking the Defense Production Act just in case we need it. In other words, I think you all know what it is. And it can do a lot of good things if we need it. And we will uh, we will have it uh, all uh, completed, signing it in just a little while. Right after I'm finished with this conference, I'll be signing it. It's prepared to go. So we will be invoking the Defense Production Act. Last week, I signed an emergency declaration under the Stafford Act, which, as you know, we invoked previously and which activated FEMA's National Response Coordination Center. FEMA now is fully engaged at the highest levels. Well, Americans can no longer just cross the Canadian border. Here's what Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, whose wife was diagnosed with COVID-19, announced via Time and CTV. I just spoke to President Trump again this morning, and we have agreed that both Canada and the United States will temporarily restrict all non-essential travel across the Canada-U.S. border. Travelers will no longer be permitted to cross the border for recreation and tourism. In both our countries, we're encouraging people to stay home. We're telling our citizens not to visit their neighbors if they don't absolutely have to. Well, this collaborative and reciprocal measure is an extension of that prudent approach. I want to be clear, though, that essential travel will continue. Our governments recognize that it is critical that we preserve supply chains between both countries. These supply chains ensure that food, fuel, and life-saving medicines reach people on both sides of the border. Trump also announced that the Department of Housing and Urban Development will temporarily halt evictions and foreclosures until the end of April in an effort to cope with the coronavirus pandemic. Markets are still having a rough time coping with the uncertain economy, with the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P dropping more than 7% during the briefing, triggering a temporary circuit breaker trading halt, according to CNBC. The Treasury Department is reportedly pushing a big economic package that would give Americans two rounds of checks. NBC News reports that the checks would go out in April and in May and would be based on family size and income, each round of checks costing $250 billion for taxpayers. NBC also reported the Treasury is also asking for $50 billion for the airline industry, a small business interruption loan program of $300 billion, and $150 billion for other distressed sectors. 
Ask about checks to Americans. Here's what President Trump said via ABC News. To be determined. We're working with the uh, Senate right now. We're working with everybody on Capitol Hill. There's been tremendous. Uh, there really has been. I mean, with with some exceptions, obviously, because it's always the way it is. But there has been. Uh, they've been getting along very well, Republicans and Democrats. It's a nice thing. Very bipartisan Would you so like far. To see them more than a thousand dollars. Well, we're going to see. I, I don't want to get into that right now, John. We we are looking at different numbers. Uh, we're looking at timing that would be different, splitting the time, splitting the payments. We're looking at a lot of different things. Hasn't been determined yet, but it will shortly be determined. And people want to go big as opposed everybody seems to want to go big and uh, they want to get to the recovery. The big day is uh, the big thing we can do is get rid of this uh, horrible, uh, I call it the unseen, uh, the unseen enemy. You call it, you, there's a thousand different terms for it, but whatever, it snuck up on us. And it's uh, it did 128 countries. I think it's in uh, something like that, very close to that. Think of that. Trump is still using the phrase Chinese virus unapologetically, despite backlash from reporters. Here is an exchange the president had with a reporter during his Wednesday briefing at the White House via Daily Caller. Why do you keep calling this the Chinese virus? There are reports of dozens of incidents of bias against Chinese Americans in this country. Your own aide, Secretary Azar, says he does not use this term. He says ethnicity does not cause the virus. Why do you keep using this? A lot of people say it's racist. It's not racist at all. No, not at all. It comes from China. That's why comes from China. I and want to be accurate. Yeah, please, John. I have a great, I have great love uh, for all of the people from our country. But uh, as you know, China tried to say at one point, maybe they stopped now, that it was caused by American soldiers. That can't happen. It's not going to happen. Not as long as I'm president. Uh, it comes from China. Vice President Mike Pence announced Wednesday that doctors would be allowed to practice in other states. He also advised that all non-urgent medical treatments be halted for now via CNN. Also, with regard to medical personnel, at the president's direction, HHS is issuing a regulation today that will allow all doctors and medical professionals to practice across state lines to meet the needs of hospitals that may arise in adjoining areas. In addition to that, we are again today uh, asking every American and our medical community leaders uh, and hospitals to partner with us in delaying elective procedures uh, across the country in our health care system to ensure that medical supplies and medical capacity go where they're needed most. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced Wednesday that a Navy hospital ship called Comfort will be deploying to New York City to help respond to the coronavirus pandemic there. The ship contains 1,000 hospital rooms, and according to Syracuse.com, New York has now over 2,300 confirmed cases of the coronavirus, the most in the country and more than double the total cases in Washington State, which is number two in the nation with about 1,000 cases. Utah had a major earthquake on Wednesday, a 5.7 one right by Salt Lake City. This is extremely bad timing because we already have the coronavirus issue going on right now, causing a lot of anxiety, Governor Gary Herbert said, according to the Associated Press, which also reported that about 2.8 million Utah residents live in the area of the quake. The airport in Salt Lake City was shut down while authorities evaluated the damage. Next up, we'll have Virginia's interview with Sebastian Gorka. What the heck is trickle-down economics? 
Does the military really need a space force? What is the meaning of American exceptionalism? I'm Michelle Cordero. I'm Tim Desher. And every week on the Heritage Explains podcast, we break down a hot button policy issue in the news at a 101 level. Through an entertaining mix of personal stories, media clips, music, and interviews, we help you actually understand the issues. So do this. Subscribe to Heritage Explains on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts today. I am joined by Sebastian Gorka, host of America First. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. We love the Daily Signal and the Heritage Foundation. Your love for freedom really starts with your father. Paul Gorka, and he has an amazing story and incredible history of actually escaping from very oppressive communist countries. Today, we have a pressing issue in America of socialism. Yes. So many people are fascinated with the idea of socialism. Where do you think that comes from? Oh, I can tell you very clearly. It's the, uh, the third chapter of my new book, The War for America's Soul. I went back and I mapped out how we got to a place in America where, according to the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, 72% of millennial Americans would prefer to live in a socialist or communist country. This, this didn't happen overnight. It's not just a function of the eight years of Obama. This is 80 years of indoctrination. If it goes right back to an Italian communist in a prison cell in Italy called Antonio Gramsci and through to Saul Alinsky and the concept of the march through the institutions. This is a very, very um, conscious ploy to undermine Western civilization from the inside. The radicals of the 60s and 70s, the Weather Underground, the, uh, the SDS people such as Bernadine Dorn and, and Billes failed to instigate a violent Marxist revolution in America. So what did they do? They knew their, their Trotsky, they knew their, their Mao, they even knew what Hitler said. Give me their children and I will own their futures. And, and these radicals became high school teachers. Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers, terrorists, became tenured professors in Chicago. This is how you get to a point in America where you can be doing um, a degree, you can be studying Western literature in an Ivy League school, and never read William Shakespeare in your four years in college. So we, we have um, several generations who've been indoctrinated. And the sad thing is the conservative movement allowed the left to capture the culture. And that's why we owe Andrew Breitbart so much, who, who woke us up to the reality that politics is downstream from culture. And now it's time for us to, to reach out and grasp back our republic from those who wish to destroy it. What would you say is the great lie of socialism? That it works. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, we, 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 have, we have kids, we have Bernie supporters, Bernie bros, people who like uh, Senator Warner, people who like uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, who actually believe that equity is guaranteed, that you can have outcomes, not opportunities, outcomes guaranteed without the loss of liberty, despite the fact two things that are documentable that, that Howard Zinn and Michael Moore will never tell you or Noam Chomsky 40 nations, 4-0 40 nations have tried to create socialist or communist countries since Karl Marx wrote this capital every single one failed 
And on top of that, whilst they tried to create earthbound utopia, they took the lives of a hundred million people from the Soviet Union to Cambodia, from Laos to Cuba. Read the Black Book of Communism, listen, written by left-wing historians who said in less than a hundred years, a hundred million lives were extinguished. So the big lie is that socialism and communism can work. Every day on America First, you push back against the progressive narrative of the left. How would you respond to the progressive talking point that, you know, liberals and progressives are really the only people that care about the poor or the disadvantaged? Because there, there is no system of governance that has taken more poverty, more millions and billions of destitute people out of poverty and given them, them prosperity than free markets and democracy. Socialism never did it. Socialism will, sounds good, but eventually, as Margaret Thatcher says, that, you know, the only you know, problem with socialism, eventually you run out of other people's money. And eventually, you know, the, 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 the good intentions of a socialist state lead to the labor camps and the gulags. So the, 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 the talking point is very simple. It's never worked. It's not going to work. And if you really want to help somebody, you're going to have to go with free markets. And how do free markets and a smaller government actually work to lift that, that lower class, that middle class? Because they, they allow for equality of opportunity. You can never have equality of outcomes. The, 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 the government, I mean, think about it. Would you trust the organization that runs the DMV? with your future? Of course you wouldn't. You wouldn't trust the DMV with running the economy. That's why you have to get government out of the way. I didn't say it, but it's a great phrase. The bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. This is why we've had, think of this, when we came into the White House, I was a deputy uh, for strategy to the president. The president said, I'm not signing any executive orders unless we rescind two standing orders. So for every new executive action, I want you, we want to dissolve two. And we said, wow, that's amazing. You know what happened? By the ninth month, that ratio wasn't one to two. It was one to 22. We got government off the backs of American businesses. And what happened? Th this is stunning. 13 trillion dollars was added to the U.S. economy. We have unemployment figures uh, at the lowest they've been since before I was born. Unemployment figures for Hispanics, for blacks, are at historic lows. Employment figures for women are the highest they've ever been. And people want socialism. Let's not talk about emotions. Let's talk about what you can actually see happening in the market. Can you tell our listeners how they can find out more oh, yeah. about what you're doing and, and find your show? So my show, America First, is on the Salem Radio Network, three hours a day, uh, three to six Eastern. Uh, you can pick it up on 200 stations across the country, or we're live streaming on YouTube, on Facebook. Uh, you can download the podcast at your favorite podcast supplier, or we cycle it 24-7 at our website, sebgorka.com. That's S-E-B. G-O-R-K-A SebGorka.com Perfect. Sebastian Gorka, thank you so much. God bless. Thank you. Do you have an opinion that you'd like to share? Leave us a voicemail at 202-608-6205 or email us at letters at dailysignal.com Yours could be featured on the Daily Signal podcast. After 20 years with the New England Patriots and six Super Bowl wins, 
Tom Brady is heading south to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Patriots fans have strong opinions about the situation, with some blaming Pats coach Bill Belichick for Brady's departure and others accusing veteran quarterback of abandoning his team for a higher paycheck in Florida. Here to give me their hot takes is my colleague and fellow Patriots fan, Ryan Smith. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me. Happy to join you. All right. So when you first heard the news that Tom Brady was leaving the Patriots, he was going to Florida, were you surprised? Honestly, I really wasn't. Uh, You know, after his Hulu ad, I sort of had a little bit of hope, but I've sort of seen this coming for a little while, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, I I think I was just so holding on to hope. Uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, kind of both in, in Massachusetts and New Hampshire and in a very proud Patriot household. So I think I, I just wouldn't let myself actually believe that Tom Brady was going to leave the Patriots. Because I mean, when you think of the Patriots, like that is Tom Brady. It's almost impossible, I feel like, to imagine, you know, him not being a part of the team. Um, I mean, do you do you think that this is really um, more of a you know Belichick's call or, or was this Brady's call? I think it was probably a little bit of both. Uh, I know for a fact that it mustn't have been a Kraft call because uh, you know Bob Kraft is uh, absolutely a big Tom Brady guy, and I think if he was given the choice between Brady and Belichick, he'd let Belichick walk. Um, but there's definitely been rumors that there's been a Brady Belichick's in the last couple of years. And I, I really believe it myself. I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist in that regard. But seeing as there's not really a whole lot of information on what their relationship is like, I definitely think that the two of them have kind of been straining. And uh, I, I think that he did his job to kind of push Tom away. But I, I think that Brady was going to leave either way. Yeah, no, I... I was fascinated. I talked to my dad just earlier today. He's uh, he lives in Boston and huge Patriots fan. And I just asked him. He he listens to a lot of sports radio. And I was like, "What are they saying up there?" And I was interested to hear that really people are are blaming Belichick for this. That it's like you know they they saw they've seen over and over. We've seen as Patriots fans that Belichick he's he's not at all hesitant to get rid of players that he feels like you know, our liability. And I think we all thought though, that, you know, with Brady, that it was different, that there was a loyalty there that Belichick had to Brady. And now we kind of see, oh, that's actually very much not true. And a lot of very loyal Patriots fans are not happy with Belichick right now. Well, I I really think that this is just the Belichick doctrine in motion. I mean, he has always been the first guy to say, all right, get rid of this person. We don't need them. And no matter how crucial we thought that they were. And, you know, there was the belief that Tom was the exception to that rule, but I, I don't think that he was. I think that Belichick recently has seen that Tom was, you know, losing his touch. And I think that he was more than happy to see Tom go. Now, the one thing I will say is that I think that he's probably not happy that we don't have Jimmy Garoppolo anymore uh, to put in because Jimmy was really his project. And when he left, I think the reason that we got next to nothing for Garoppolo uh, was because uh, Kraft basically said, we're keeping Tom and we can't keep Jimmy on on our roster anymore. So I think that's why Belichick kind of 
gave him to the 49ers for next to nothing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do think it's interesting. You know, you kind of look at both sides of it. I'm like, well, Brady a little bit did this to himself. I mean, he was demanding $30 million this year. This past year, he demanded a much higher salary. And that meant that, you know, Bill and Kraft didn't have as much to pay for you know really good receivers, for instance. Um, so yeah, how how much do you think that that has really kind of played a role uh, in in Brady's getting outed? Just his his own desire for a larger paycheck, frankly. Well, I think at this point, you know, he was always the one that would never take the big paycheck because he wanted to have those great receivers around it because he wanted to have a good team. Um, but now that he's, you know, indisputably the greatest quarterback to play the game, he's won six rings, which is uh, with it, which is the most of any starting quarterback. Uh, I, I think that at this point, he's getting older and older every year, and he wants to keep playing until he's fifty. He says, so I, I really think that he does want to see that bigger paycheck, and the Patriots don't want to pay that out because. Uh, Brady has for such a long time been great for our cap, but now that he's demanding more, I I just think that uh, Belichick was more than willing to let him go. Yeah. Yeah. Just really shocking. Now, I mean, wow. And we're, we're really, I feel like looking at like the end of kind of a dynasty in new England. I mean, just this air of winning, winning, winning. I mean, what do you, what do you think the future holds for the new England Patriots? I, I definitely think that uh, so long as we keep Belichick around, we've definitely got a chance. Uh, I mean, he's, he takes some players that people have never heard of and turns them into all-stars. So uh, I, I really think that uh, that Belichick is a big key to our success. And even if we don't do well this year, uh, I think that our drafting prospects in the future will probably be very good. Um, it, I mean, if we were to tank this year, there's always the chance that we could end up with Trevor Lawrence, which I think would be fantastic. That's what um, I'm looking for. I'm like, come on, if only Trevor was available this year. <laughs> like if we yeah, well, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is that he would be going very early. And uh, there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks right now. So it's almost better for us if we don't do well this year that uh, we get an early draft pick and are able to uh, – either trade our way up to or just have the natural draft pick in order to uh, get him once he registers for the draft next year. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's an interesting thought. Now, what about what about Brady's legacy? I mean, do you think if if he goes to the Florida to Florida to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you know, he really isn't able to make them a winning team, he's you know, he's not able to get them to the playoffs. He's not able to get them a Super Bowl win. What do you think that's going to do for his legacy? Um, I think that his legacy is uh, pretty much already written, but he is definitely gambling on it by going to Tampa Bay. I mean, there's not a lot of great team around him at Tamp- in Tampa right now. So he's definitely uh, gambling, but if anyone could take that gamble, it's Tom Brady because the man's already done more than any other, other quarterback. So he... I think that he wants to see what he can do without Belichick. He's always been, you know, people have always said that Brady is just a a franchise quarterback because of Belichick. And I think he wanted to set out on his own and really figure out if he could be as successful. Now, he's doing that at age 43. So there's a good chance that 
in the past, if he had done it, he might have been able to do it. But if he doesn't do well in Tampa Bay, he may well only last a year or two there. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting season to watch. All right. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for giving us your, your insight. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. We really do appreciate your patience as we record remotely during these weeks. Please be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. And please leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts and give us your feedback. We'll see you again tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Thalia Rampersad, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.